Welcome to the hills. All of you that are watching online and all of you in person at any of our campuses. Uh, this week, I'm getting to preach live at the West Fort Worth campus. So a shout out to all of you in person at North Richmond Hills and at Keller. Now, let me just say, I love the fall. I think it's my favorite season of the year. I love the weather. I love the colors. I love watching football games. And two of my favorite Sundays of the year are in the fall. And one is next Sunday. I'm talking about Harvest Sunday. I love everything about it. I love getting to hear from our church planters and missionaries. And this year, we're going to hear from Brent Brammer, who's planted an amazing church in California. I love watching the children come up and empty their coin cans on the stages. I love just the spirit of unity and generosity that wells up in our church as we come together and sacrifice for a great mission. So I'm looking forward to next Sunday. But another one of my favorite Sundays in the fall is today because it's fall back Sunday. And hopefully everyone got a little bit more sleep. And I know that we need that because I know as a culture, we seem to be perpetually tired, even in our soul. In fact, uh, I'm going to go ahead and tell you now, in January, I'm doing a series I'm really excited about. And I'm going to talk about soul weariness. And I think it's going to be one of the more important series I've ever preached. Here's what I know. A lot of us are tired of feeling tired, not just adults, but even children. So I saw a video I want to show you in a little bit. Let me just set the uh, backstory. Landry is four years old. It's Monday. He's on his way to school and it just hits him. I can't believe I've got to do this again. Watch this video clip. Okay, how many of us can relate, okay? And sometimes we just need someone to come beside us and help us keep going. You see, following Jesus is exhilarating, but let's be honest, sometimes it can be exhausting. And that's one reason why we have in our Bibles the book we call The Letter to the Hebrews. Uh, you can tell by the title, the letter was written by a Jewish Christian to other Jewish Christians. They have accepted Jesus as their Messiah, and they're starting to feel the weight of it. With this new conviction has come ostracism, financial hardship, in some cases, even the threat of persecution, and they are getting tired. Uh, that's why you have the verse in chapter 12 of Hebrews, verse 12, take a new grip with your tired hands and strengthen your weak knees. You see, what he's doing in this book is trying to encourage people to finish their race. And that's one reason why he tells stories of people in their history that they revere who have run their race well. So these last few weeks, we've been looking at Hebrews chapter 11. What makes a faith worth remembering? And one thing we'll see today is that these stories we tell are not of people who never 
weary. They are of people who never wavered. They took a hit, but they did not quit. Because faith worth remembering finishes strong. So let's finish Hebrews chapter 11, starting in verse 32. And what more shall I say? I do not have time to tell about Gideon, Barak, Samson, and Jephthah, about David and Samuel and the prophets who through faith conquered kingdoms, administered justice, and gained what was promised, who shut the mouths of lions, quenched the fury of the flames, and escaped the edge of the sword, whose weakness was turned to strength, and who became powerful in battle and routed foreign armies. Women received back their dead, raised to life again. There were others who were tortured, refusing to be released so that they might gain an even better resurrection. Some faced jeers and floggings and even chains and imprisonment. They were put to death by stoning. They were sawed in two. They were killed by the sword. They went about in sheepskins and goatskins, destitute, persecuted, and mistreated. The world was not worthy of them. They wandered in deserts and mountains, living in caves and in holes of the ground. These were all commended for their faith. And so what the author does is he ends this chapter, this section of his letter, by just opening a fire hose and drenching his readers with memories of all the faith heroes in their past that can inspire them. Here's the thing. All of us stand on the shoulders of others in this thing called the life of faith. We've all received the baton from somebody who ran before us, and now we have the responsibility to pass the baton of faith on to the next generation. And that's why we talk about faith that's worth remembering. That's why we look back at people who ran their race with God well. But here's what's interesting to me. The author doesn't just want us to draw inspiration from those whose faith brought gain, but from those whose faith brought pain. He talks about people who experienced mighty triumphs because of their faith, who through their faith conquered kingdoms. But then he has that little phrase, there were others. And here's what I know. Nobody wants to be in the there were others club. Nobody wants to sign up for that community. But in heaven, their faith stories are celebrated just as much. He says these were all commended for their faith. And let me just stop for a second and say, we need to create space in our church for both kinds of faith testimonies. The stories of people who walk by faith and experience great gain and the stories of people who walk by faith and that journey brought them great pain. And sadly, so often in faith communities, there's only room for one kind of story. There are those communities that say, you just need to have more faith. And if you experience pain, the indictment is you just don't believe enough. There are other communities that want to focus primarily on language as the worship choice. Uh, excuse me, lament as the worship language of choice. And they want to 
celebrate those who suffer well, but they almost have no room for someone to say, but how about the miracle testimony that I have? It seems to me that in a mature community of faith, there's room for both kinds of testimonies without judgment. There's room for one high school student to say, I started a Bible study in my high school and hundreds of kids joined me. And there's room for the testimony of the high school student who said, I've spoken up for Jesus and I've been isolated and ostracized by my community. And heaven commends the faith of both. Shouldn't there be room for the testimony of someone who says, we prayed and the doctor said, there is no tumor. And shouldn't there be room for the testimony who says, we prayed and the doctor said, there is no cure. Because in both instances, people finished their race by faith. You see, that's the thing I want us to see. What all these heroes had in common, no matter how their story finished, was this. They finished their race. Whether their faith journey resulted in triumph or tragedy, they stayed in the race. Because faith worth remembering remembers. It's the finish that matters. Let me show you this picture. Uh, this man, Luca Pedernik, is his name. He's from Slovenia. And Luca, before Luca Doncic, was the most popular Luca in the country of Slovenia because he was a great uh, cyclist and he had a great career in cycling. But he's best known for this race. You see, he's holding out his hands in victory after three and a half hours of cycling. The problem is, he didn't realize there was one more lap in the race. He led up too soon. Exhausted and spent, he wound up in 148th place. Now here's the thing. Every single person mentioned in Hebrews 11 that we've talked about these last few weeks was a flawed runner. But none of them took the exit ramp when the race got hard. You see, little else matters if the finish falters. Now, let me illustrate uh, from my life as a pastor. I have preached many, many funerals. I'm going to give you a quiz. Which funeral would I rather preach? The first person walked with Jesus for 60 years, a prayer warrior, a servant. The last five years of his life, he walked away from Jesus. The second person lived the first 60 years of his life as a reprobate, immoral, turning his back on God. But the last five years, he came to strong faith and finished praising Jesus. Which funeral would I rather preach? I would always rather preach the funeral of the person who finished well. You see, faith Testimonies have many ways to begin, but only one way to end. It says they were all commended for their faith. So what kind of faith does God commend? Well, God commends conquering faith. Like that first group of people we read about. Um, some of you many years ago saw a movie, an inspiring movie, I thought, called Chariots of Fire. It was about Eric Little. You see his picture here. Uh, there's a, 
you might recall, he gained fame by refusing the 1924 Olympics to run the 100-meter dash, his best event, because it was on a Sunday, a day he devoted to the worship of his God. Now, there's a scene in that movie that you might think is pure Hollywood and fictitious, but it actually happened. See, a year earlier, he was at a race in the UK. Uh, he ran the 100, the 220, the 440. It's the 440 race. You might remember this scene in the movie. They start 20 to 30 yards in, he trips and he falls. When he gets up, he's over 20 yards behind the rest of the runners and he takes off. One time around the lap, he gets closer and closer and at the very end, he catches up, sticks out his chest and crosses the finish line inches ahead of the second place runner. He was so physically spent, medical personnel had to come and help him off the track. And sports journalists there that day said it was the greatest display of athleticism they had ever witnessed. Now, we're inspired when we witness that kind of incredible triumph. And many of those kinds of stories are depicted in Hebrews 11. You see, people of faith are not just to tolerate the brokenness of the world. Now, faith is not illogical. Faith is Theological. Faith brings God into the equation, believing that anything is possible. For example, do you remember when the angel showed up to the priest uh, Zechariah, who would become the father of John the Baptizer? He's an old man. He and his wife can't have kids. The angel says, you're going to become a father. <laughs> and Zechariah basically says, oh, shut up. We're too old. And the angel says, no, you shut up. And he did until John was born. Now contrast that with Mary, a young teenage girl who hears an even more amazing birth announcement that as a virgin, she's going to bear a son. How does she respond? See, Mary brought God into the equation and she said, I'm God's servant. He can do whatever he wants to do with my life. That's what conquering faith does. Conquering faith views reality through the lens of a greater reality. The end of human ability is not the end of God's possibility. Kingdoms can be conquered. Mouths of lions can be shut. Weakness can be turned to strength in Jesus' name. It's one reason why next week we're going to be so generous uh, for our mission as a church to plant more churches to take the gospel in places where it's never been taken before, to see more needy children in our community minister to and rescued. Yes, we're dreaming impossible dreams, except by faith, we are bringing God into the equation. And we're realizing that our impossibility never limits the capacity of our God. We must not say God can do anything and then pray like God's retired. We ask for the nations and the generations. But now, believing that God can should not become insisting that God will. Because as the writer reminds us, there were others. And so we want to be aware of a kind of toxic theology that views struggle in life as a lack of faith. I'll give you what's a red flag for me. Whenever a TV preacher makes faith a two-syllable word, 
Whenever I see someone on TV say, you need to have faith, I get nervous, okay? Because believing God can is not the same as insisting God will. God honors the faith of the others. Yes, he commends conquering faith, but God also commends suffering faith. We're inspired by testimonies of those who experience triumph by their faith. But aren't we also equally inspired by those who experience tragedy because of their faith? In fact, while it takes faith to conquer, sometimes it takes even more faith to suffer. Let me ask you, what makes a person a great preacher? Is it oratorical skill? Uh, Is it leadership quality? Is it charisma, capacity to cast a vision? Uh, A Christian uh, teacher named Paul Borthwick recently was in China visiting a friend there who started a ministry uh, helping the underground church. And so Paul went that Sunday to this little underground church. And the preacher that morning, he said, was an old man, soft-spoken, stooped over, hardly any passion or emotion. He frankly was rather bored by the sermon that he couldn't understand anyway. But that day at lunch, he was with some young Christians from that church. And so he asked, is your pastor a good preacher? And they all beamed and they said, oh, he is a great preacher. He spent many years in prison for Jesus. Oh, now that's a new way and maybe a better way to decide what a good preacher is. Now, please hear me. Believing that good can come out of suffering is not the same thing as believing that suffering is good. I'll pray for conquer over suffer every time. But by faith, I believe that what God does not remove, God can redeem. And here's the reality to all of you listening right now. All of you online, all of you at Keller, all of you at North Richmond Hills, wherever you are, here's the reality. In our faith story, we're going to have some conquer chapters and we're going to have some suffer chapters. And we need to live both of those chapters by faith. And by the way, another side thought. Let me caution you to be slow to compare your faith race to anybody else's. I promise you there are people that you may admire and maybe even secretly envy because it seems like their life of faith is just full of victory. Trust me, there is pain in their life you know nothing about that you would never want to go through. And be slow to pity the person whose faith walk has endured much suffering. I promise there are joys and experiences of intimacy with the Spirit of God in their life you would want if you knew of them. The thing that matters is not how the particular chapter we're in ends, but the resolve to live by faith when we don't know how it will End. Remember the three courageous Hebrew boys in Daniel chapter 3? They would not bow down to worship Nebuchadnezzar's statue of gold. He threatened to throw them into a blazing furnace. And here's what they said. 
If we're thrown into the blazing furnace, the God whom we serve is able to save us. He will rescue us from your power, your majesty. But even if he doesn't, we want to make it clear to you, your majesty, that we will never serve your gods or worship the gold statue you have set up. We know he can. But even if he doesn't, we will stay faithful to our God. That's what no exit ramp faith looks like. See, here's the thing. God commends conquering faith and God commends suffering faith because in both cases, what God really commends is enduring faith. See, discipleship is rarely a sprint. It is almost always a marathon. And God takes great delight in determined, resolute plodding. If you're a sports fan, you'll remember just over a week ago, the Dallas Cowboys celebrated the 20th anniversary of Emmett Smith breaking the rushing record for a National Football League career. You see his picture. Most of those yards he gained were with the Dallas Cowboys. Many of us enjoyed watching his great success. He finished his career with what many say is an unbreakable record, over 18,000 yards rushing. Here's what you need to know. His average yard per carry in his career was 4.3 yards. You can do the math. That is a whole lot of getting knocked down and getting back up. There is a big market for dynamic religious experience. There is much less interest in the slow, steady pursuit of the way of Jesus. But let me remind you, the shoulders that we stand on belong to plotters. Isn't that true? Think about the people that have had the greatest impact on your faith journey. They were in a marathon. And the greatest trait was that they didn't quit. You've heard of triathlons. I don't know who these crazy people are. You swim in the ocean for a couple of miles and then you bicycle for over a hundred miles and then you run a marathon of over 26 miles? And the most prestigious triathlon is in Hawaii, the original Ironman. And so they had this documentary on TV not long ago about that particular triathlon and they were interviewing a woman named Lynn Brooks who has run about 20 of these triathlons. And she talked about her hardest one in Hawaii and she's done the two miles of swimming and the hundred miles of biking. And now she's in the middle of that marathon and her body is just rebelling. And she pulls into a first aid tent and she sees a man sitting down drinking a cold beer. And he reads her thoughts and he says out loud, all you have to do is drop out of the race like me. And she said in this documentary, I knew right then he was the devil. <laughs> and I got up and I went back out to that race course and I finished. And she said, I love this. She said, it was the hardest and most glorious day of my life. Discipleship 
is a long obedience in the same direction. We remember our faith heroes not for their perfection, but for their progression. They conquered, they suffered, but most of all, they endured. So let me show you this picture. You may not recognize it as quickly, but that's one of the last photos we have of Eric Little. After his running career and his fame from the Olympics, he went to the mission field in China where he spent most of the rest of his life. When the Japanese invaded China, people were told to leave. He sent his family home, but he stayed because the mission and the hospital he and his brother were working with he thought was too critical. He wound up in a Japanese internment camp. They offered to let him go, but again, he insisted that the work he was doing was too critical. He was diagnosed with a brain tumor, and he died there. Now, here's the thing. If he had not finished his race well, there would have been no movie. The reason we celebrate the way he achieved victory in the first half of his life is because we know how he finished his race. And so listen to the Hebrew writer. After he's told story after story after story about people who have a faith worth remembering, here's what he says. Therefore, since we're surrounded by such a great cloud of witnesses... Let us throw off everything that hinders and the sin that so easily entangles and let us run with perseverance. The race marked out for us, fixing our eyes on Jesus, the pioneer and perfecter of faith for the joy set before him. He endured the cross, scorning its shame and sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. Consider him who endured such opposition from sinners so that you will not grow weary and lose heart. Now, I'm going to tell you, life is hard. I'm going to tell you something else. The faith life is even harder. But none of us had a harder race to run than Jesus. And faith worth remembering remembers how Jesus finished. It is his example that got us into the race in the first place. It was his courage and resolve that inspires us to let go of all the stuff that is weighing us down so that we can stay on track. It is his empowering presence with us in the person of his Holy Spirit that keeps us going. And it is his welcome that motivates us to Finish. I love telling this story. 1998 Olympics in Nagato, Japan. Bjorn Dolly won his sixth gold medal. He's one of the greatest uh, cross-country uh, skiers of all time. A hero in Norway. Philip Boyd, two years before, had never seen snow. He's from Kenya, the first from his country to ever try cross-country skiing. You see there that Boyd has just finished his race 20-something minutes after Dolly. The last one there. But when he crossed that line, the greatest cross-country skier of all time was there to greet him and tell him, well done. Faith worth remembering remembers 
The finish matters. And Jesus is waiting to commend all who conquer, suffer, and endure. And so let me tell one more time my favorite illustration ever, and there's no close second because it's a true story about my mother. She was having abdominal pain, different trips to the doctor, tried different prescriptions, and finally they did exploratory surgery. I was with my father and brother at a hospital in Plano. The surgery was supposed to take two hours. The doctor came back in 30 minutes. I knew what that meant. He said, I'm sorry. There's cancer everywhere. We just closed her back up. So we're in post-op waiting for my mother to come to. When she starts to come to, I look over at my father. For the second time in my life, I saw my father crying. And I realized he can't tell her. I went by her bedside. I took her hand. I said, Mom, we didn't get the news we wanted. The doctor says, you have cancer. It's bad. He said, you're in for a tough fight. She said, I can do that. And then she squeezed my hand and she said, you know, son, either way, I win. I watched my mom's last five years of her race with cancer. There were moments when she conquered. There were many moments when she suffered. But most of all, she finished. She finished her faith race. She never lost her hope, her trust, or her love in Jesus. And she did win. And the one who ran the best race ever was there when she crossed the line to say, well done. I will always remember her faith. I stand on her shoulders. She's passed the baton to me. I want to pass it on to my children and to you. And I leave you with that thought. Somebody needs you to pass the baton of faith on to them. Dear friend, how do you want to be remembered. Would you pray with me, please? So God, thank you for this time together. When we can be with people we love in your presence and under the authority of your word, thank you for your Bible that is full of so much instruction and so many stories, God, of people like us, flawed but full of faith. They conquered, they suffered, they endured. Give us, God, the resilience and resolve we need to run the race like they did. Give us the confidence that someday we will see Jesus and he will say, well done. Give us, God, a burden to pass on this great faith to the next generation. Help us, God, to run a race worth remembering like Jesus did. And in his name we pray. Amen.